Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello again, and welcome back. You're listening to the podcast which isn't ashamed to admit its age and look back to what it was like growing up as a child in 1970s Britain and to celebrate the part that TV played in our childhood. This week, I want to start off by going back to 1973. In the hit BBC TV show Life on Mars, the hero, Sam Tyler, who was a rather trendy post-millennial rather irritating policeman, is transported back to 1973 and has an enormous culture shock. Well, obviously, as well as being amazed to have seemingly travelled back in time. I love the show, and I thought it was really well done. And I do remember reading one of the first reviews, which praised the acting skills on show, but also went on to say that the real star was the year 1973 itself, which appeared to be dark, dingy, and not really very pleasant at all, at least not in Greater Manchester Police HQ. Well, in and amongst that dark dinginess, 1973 was a huge year in my then short life, as on February the 5th of that year, my family moved house. Almost everything I had ever known had taken place in and around our family home in Padgate, which was then still a small village just outside Warrington. So the prospect of moving had initially filled me with dread when it had been announced to me and my sister late in 1972. I mentioned in previous episodes that my father was a Church of England priest and the move was really important for him and my mother as he was moving from Padgate to be rector of Warrington, which was kind of a big deal in northwest ecclesiastical circles and also made him a leading member of Warrington's Great and Good. And before anybody asks, yes, there is such a thing. We even had the local newspaper photographer come round and take a family picture, which appeared on the front page of the Warrington Guardian, the local newspaper, much to the amazement of my school friends. So for my parents, this was a really big move in every way. But for me, it meant moving from home leaving the garden I played in, leaving the collection of pets and assorted found animals buried in the flower beds, leaving my friends at school and stepping out into the unknown. Fortunately, my sadness quickly turned to excitement when I started to think about moving to a new place, having a new bedroom and having a new whole garden to explore. I also needn't have worried about leaving my friends because as we were only moving a couple of miles away, it was agreed that my sister and I should carry on at Padgate School, which would involve going to and from the school on the bus. So even more excitements ahead then. So the day came, and all our possessions were packed up into tea chests. Why was it that they always used tea chests? And loaded onto Roy Trevor's removal vans to make the two-mile journey to our new home. The rectory was a modern house, 
built in 1965 to replace an old Georgian building, which I believe had virtually fallen apart during the 1950s and was ultimately demolished before it caused any injuries or deaths. The modern house was huge, and I had what seemed to me an enormous bedroom. There was also a completely overgrown garden that stretched out for what appeared to be miles, which my sister and I had the run of. So, after all, moving wasn't so bad. Coincidentally, the 5th of February 1973 also saw the first appearance of a new and environmentally friendly community, before that term had even been invented, I think. Most of you have probably worked out that I'm talking about the Wombles, who came into our living rooms for the first time on that day in the five-minute slot before the early evening news on the BBC. The show ran for two years and over 60 episodes, and won a special place in my and millions of other children's hearts. What was it about them? The little furry, pointy-nosed creatures, a bit like moles, I guess. Well, the stories were imaginative. The stop-motion filming on simple sets representing Wimbledon Common and the Wombles Burrow was charming. And the characters like the ancient uncle, great-uncle Bulgaria, the dithering Orinoco, and Madame Cholet, the French Womble cook, came alive as the simple tales unfolded. But I think the main element which made the programme live on in my memory was the vocal talents of Bernard Cribbins, the narrator and provider of all of the Womble voices. As we've looked back at my 70s TV childhood, there are certain names which crop up time and time again. Some of them, like Jimmy Savile and Rolf Harris, went on to become infamous for other reasons, having been omnipresent on British TV throughout the decade. But others, like Bernard Cribbins, were a reassuring presence, appearing on TV, in films and on the radio. When I look back, it seems like Bernard Cribbins was everywhere and continued to be so for much of the following four decades. So I'd like to spend a bit of time looking back at his contribution to my childhood memories. I mentioned the Wombles, but Bernard Cribbins had been a memorable presence for many of us, due to his many appearances on the storytelling show Jack and Ori. In fact, he appeared in no less than 114 episodes, more than any other storyteller. He was also the voice of Tufty the Squirrel, who was the face of the Royal Society Prevention of Accidents 1970s road safety campaigns. As mentioned in our episode on public information films, I and many others signed up to the Tufty Club to make sure we wouldn't end up being knocked down like Willy Weasel. For those not familiar with the series, poor Willy Weasel was the young animal most likely to be involved in a collision with a motor vehicle as he had a blatant disregard for road safety. There was something about Cribbins's voice which exuded safety, friendliness and calm. Any story he told, any programme he narrated and any advice he gave for crossing the road was received enthusiastically by listening children. He had a fantastic talent for engaging with the young audience and bringing them along with him. Bernard Cribbins was 92 just before Christmas and, until recently, seems to have been working as hard as ever. He has been a towering presence in British showbiz for over six decades, 
and was already an established star before going anywhere near Wimbledon Common. Cribbins starred in any number of British films in the 1960s, including one of my personal favourites, Two Way Stretch, where he played Lenny the Dip alongside Peter Sellers' Dodger Lane. The film, set mainly in a prison, features a who's who of British comedy actors, including Lionel Jeffries as the vindictive prison officer Sauerkraut, and Wilfred Hyde-White as conman Soapy Stevens, whose standard MO is to dress up as a vicar. The film also features George Woodbridge as the chief prison officer, who regular listeners will remember as discussing in our episode Comics, Death and Pipkins, when his unexpected death led to the death of his character in Pipkins being explained to the under-fives in a groundbreaking piece of television. Anyway, back to Bernard Cribbins. As well as two-way stretch, he became a star of the early carry-on films, taking leading roles in Carry On Jack and Carry On Spying. Unfortunately, he also appeared in the ill-advised reboot Carry On Columbus in 1992, but the least said about that, the better. In another claim to fame, Bernard appeared in the snappily titled Doctor Who film Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD, as one of the Doctor, played by Peter Cushing's assistants. He then returned to Doctor Who on TV in 2007, playing opposite David Tennant, making him, I'm reliably informed, the only actor to play two different assistants to the Doctor. At the same time, unbelievably, he was also a pop star, who had a string of novelty hits in the early 1960s, including Right Said Fred, a song beloved by generations of listeners to the BBC's Junior Choice radio programme on Saturday and Sunday mornings, and also the inspiration for the name of the East Grinstead band who brought us I'm Too Sexy in 1992. Do you remember how it went? Right said Fred, rather than I'm Too Sexy. Right said Fred, both of us together, one each end and steady as we go. Try to shift it, couldn't even lift it. We was getting nowhere, and so we had a cup of tea. And right said Fred, give a shot to Charlie, well, etc., etc. Really, you had to be listening to Junior Choice with Ed Stewart to, to really appreciate that. For many of my generation, though, the most loved film role that Bernard Cribbins took was that of Albert, or Bert Perks, in The Railway Children in 1970. His kindness, friendliness, and engaging demeanour were perfect for this tale of three children living in the country after their father has been arrested for, apparently, being a spy. It turns out that Bernard ad-libbed many of his lines during the shooting of the film, which makes it an even more remarkable performance. I defy anyone not to watch the final scene with Cribbins, the lovely Jenny Agatha, and the children's father stepping out of the smog of the train without being moved. It gets me every time. In spite of my appearing to be a bit of a cynic from my broadcasts, I am an old softy, really. Since the 70s, Bernard Cribbins never seems to have been out of work, popping up in all kinds of TV shows, ranging from narrating the slightly sad Simon in the Land of Chalk Drawings, to making appearances on popular shows like Last of the Summer Wine, and even the accolade that most British actors search for 
appearing on an episode of Midsummer Murders, one of my favourite guilty pleasures a couple of years ago. Bernard, we children of the 1970s salute you. And if you happen to listen to this, I think it's extremely unfair you only have an OBE. I think that a knighthood is the least that your services to British entertainment deserve. What do you think? Arise Sir Bernard has a bit of a ring to it, doesn't it? If you'd like to share your memories of what it was like to grow up in 1970s Britain and what part TV played in your childhood, you can do so on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com. You can tweet me at 70stvchildhood or email me, oliver, at my70stvchildhood.com. You can also let me know what you'd like to see covered in future episodes. So, Back to 1973 and the emergence of the Wombles. The characters originally appeared in a series of books by children's author Elizabeth Beresford and first appeared in print in 1968. The story goes that Elizabeth used to take her children walking on Wimbledon Common and that her daughter mispronounced it Wombledon, which led her to make up stories for the children about Wombles. All of the characters were modelled on members of her family and named after places she had visited. The books were reasonably successful, but after the first story had featured on Jack and Ori, the BBC commissioned Film Fair of London to make a series based on the books. The series was an immediate hit with a British viewing audience, and not just children. The slots it was shown in was just before the early evening news, where many British families settled down to have their tea. As in, tea being a main evening meal, and I'm not talking about having an Earl Grey and a crumpet. As I said earlier, I think much of the credit must go to Bernard Cribbins' narration, which brought all the characters live after the classic opening theme. I think Orinoco was my favourite character. He was slightly nervous, a bit clumsy, but always tried to do the right thing, often with unintended but hilarious consequences. Of the others, Wellington was a bit of a swat, Tomsk an early example of someone who spent too much time in the gym, and Tobermory was a creative inventor who held it all together, making good use of the things that they found, as the theme tune sang about. Yes, all in all, the Wombles were early and very successful proponents of recycling, and it's no surprise that they've been the face of a Keep Britain Tidy campaign for several decades, and all of them brought to life brilliantly by the characterisations of Bernard Cribbins. As well as the main characters, I remember there was also a range of guest stars drawn from the broader Womble diaspora, 
So we had several appearances of the Macwomble, who was a fearsome Highland clan chief who scared the young Wombles witless, but underneath it all turned out to have a heart of gold. The young Wombles even had a Burns Night celebration for him when he got homesick. How nice. It's hard to describe today what an influence the Wombles had. From appearing on that five-minute slot before the news, they became massively popular, and the must-have accessory for lots of little, and I have to say, not-so-little boys and girls, was a cuddly Womble for many years during the 1970s. That is, until they were usurped by the advent of Paddington Bear. But that is another story for another day. As our guest mentioned in our earlier episode, All the Right Notes, the Wombles were also pop stars. Mike Batt, who composed the original music, brought the Wombles to life with real musicians dressed up as your favourite Wombles. And they were very successful, having a string of top 10 hits, with not only the familiar theme tune, but also the unforgettable Remember You're a Womble and the Christmas smash hit Wombling Merry Christmas. The band produced four studio albums, all of which went gold, and they were the UK's best-selling act of 1974. They had a whole string of live gigs, and they even appeared as the interval entertainment at that year's Eurovision Song Contest. All good things come to an end, and the Wombles split in 1976. And, despite a brave stab at a solo career by Wellington Womble, their musical differences remained unreconciled. What went on behind the scenes remains a closely guarded secret, but I sometimes wonder what riders they had backstage, and whether sex, drugs and rock and roll made it as far as Wimbledon Common. For Mike Batt, who was Orinoco in the band, it's still a bit of a touchy subject. In a 2008 interview, he was quoted as saying, It is hard to be taken seriously with the wombles hanging around my neck like a furry anvil. Which I think is a bit harsh on the band which gave him a string of chart successes. But having said that, I do struggle to think of much else that Mike Batt has done other than the wombles. Oh dear. Well, I hope that's brought back a few wombling merry memories for you. That five-minute slot before the BBC early evening news was a goldmine for my 70s TV childhood, and I suspect there's a future episode due on that. But in the meantime, if you enjoyed this and any of our other episodes, let me know by going to our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com, tweet at 70s TV Childhood, or email me, Oliver at my 70s TV Childhood. Thanks for listening, and join me again soon for more from My 70s TV Childhood. If you enjoyed listening, you can support the show by visiting my Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash Oliver Colling and signing up to one of our exclusive membership packages. If you go to the website, all the details are there. Your help is great.